Welcome to Inside the Bradfield Centre. I'm James Parton, the Managing Director of the Bradfield Centre. And I'm Adelina Chalmers. I'm known as the Geek Whisperer as I bridge the gap between product and engineering. Joining us on today's episode is Stephen Christie, who's the CEO of Axio. I'm really looking forward to hearing from Stephen about um, how his AI platform is going to be used in reality. What's the use case for his AI platform? Because AI is really interesting, but use cases are always even more interesting than technology itself. Yeah, I think they always help kind of explain complicated uh, technologies, don't they? Um, and uh, recently, Stephen announced uh, a fundraise uh, that Axio have just completed. So it'll be interesting to hear more about that, see if it was affected by COVID and see what the plan is to do with that money. So, Stephen, thanks for taking the time out today to join us. Um, I wonder if you could just, uh, you know, introduce yourselves to the audience and and maybe tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Certainly. And Adelina and James, thank you very much for inviting me um, today. Um, my name is Stephen Christie. Uh, I am the CEO of a company called Axio, I'm also chairman of a number of other uh, companies. Uh, and really, my uh, background is I've spent most of my career as a managing partner in the big four specializing really in uh, helping to build and develop, uh, in some instances, companies and other instances, really helping governments and regulators um, really to to evolve growth strategies, often in uh, environments that are highly regulated, highly technical, um, and really in need of uh, significant redesign and transformation of the, the fundamental underlying operating models associated with those businesses. And Stephen, can you tell us a bit more about sort of problems that Axio solves? Yes, certainly. Axio is quite an interesting um, company. It it really was sort of part of, um, I guess, a sort of team strategy that uh, what we actually have is we have a uh, we we have a, a, an incubation um, sort of capability across different sort of companies, and we really look essentially for uh, for industries that we think we could best deploy. Um, the uh, again some some of our sort of skills in terms of looking at troubleshooting, looking at redesigning, and in, in some instances, obviously bringing strategic partnerships together. So we don't tend to look at ourselves in in any instance as a company. We see ourselves really more as a laboratory that can innovate and then develop and exit businesses. Now, uh, in terms of the specific context of Axio, um, we we founded Axio to focus um, on um, agritech. And also agri fintech, and we've, and we've got a strong background in uh, developing sort of fintech solutions, and, and again, similarly exiting uh, those types of companies. And so, that what we uh, what we essentially looked at in um, in agriculture was an environment where most farms um, were struggling to be uh, profitable. Uh, they were heavily reliant upon um, subsidies, and obviously, post Brexit. Uh, there was a lot of uncertainty as, as to what uh, that might occur. We we spoke to quite a number of farmers in the industry, and and we were getting very similar um, inputs. So uh, there was a lot of concern around quite how they um, how they they um, best monetize, for example, and exploit and safely use their data. How they they change some of their decision making, 
um, around. So again, getting away from traditional um, and trying to again, figure out alternative um, crop strategies and, and, and yield models. There was obviously a lot of technology and agriculture you know, is an industry that has always been keen to adopt technology, but beyond labor arbitrage, you know, you know, bigger tractors, um, some robotics, again, we were seeing quite a disconnect with uh, a lot of the decision-making element. And, and furthermore, we were also then seeing that actually a lot of the new digital farmers, so young people coming through, were not really being given an opportunity to essentially to um, influence essentially the design and transformation of the things that they were learning in their university courses, for example, and the things that actually, you know, the average farmer was allowing them to adopt. And so what we actually did uh, very briefly is, um, and actually we formed about two years ago, we spent about 12 to 18 months effectively in stealth mode, talking to, uh, again, people in the industry. And then we, we built a lot of um, tools essentially, which can then be used essentially to focus on specific use cases. And, and I'm very happy to elaborate on some of those in, in more detail, um, uh, 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 if, if that would be of interest. So, yes, yeah, Stephen, I, I see in your background, you've actually got quite a lot of experience around artificial intelligence. Um, does that form a big part of the, um, the kind of offering at Axio? Or maybe you could kind of walk us through how AI plays a role in agritech? Yes, certainly. Um, indeed, uh, very much in terms of uh, one of the sort of common themes across uh, multiple companies is, is areas of, of AI and in particular uh, machine learning, which, which is arguably probably the, uh, I guess the most successful of any of the subcomponents of AI at this, at this moment. And actually what we've, uh, what we've, we've built um, within Axio is an automate, automated, uh, what we describe uh, uh, artificial intelligent machine learning uh, engine called Apollo. And what Apollo enables um, you to do is essentially look at any form of structured, unstructured data, and it builds and optimizes across a whole range of, of basically robotic engines, the best model and the parameters that best fit um, uh, what, the, what your target objective is um, for, uh, for any problem. So it can, can be applied to agriculture. We've applied it to uh, looking at, for example, credit fraud analysis. Uh, we've uh, applied it in terms of looking at, at, at uh, data sets around COVID, for example. And what we essentially are doing within Agritech is we are using that to build a whole series of expert models that then feed into dashboards that then enable farmers to be able to ask you know, other difficult questions. And some of those questions may be around, uh, for example, disease, disease detection, um, looking at stages of growth. We have a lot of connectivity around IoT and sensor elements. So we, we have essentially a very data-rich platform. We have then a middle layer, which is a whole series of machine learning against target objectives. And importantly, the, um, the individual doesn't need to be an expert in data science. Uh, they don't need to be an expert in machine learning. We've encoded that uh, element. So the, uh, the users, wh- whether they're farmers or researchers or policymakers, can essentially focus on asking essentially a natural language type of question. And then the system would then do a lot of the hard work. You mentioned COVID as well. So are you directly helping the fight against COVID-19? Can you talk us a bit through that as well? Certainly. And actually, we've, um, uh, I guess, what, quite, quite importantly, we, we do have uh, very strong relationships with, with government. And, uh, and actually, our, our focus is very much you know, agri-tech, med-tech, and fintech. Um, so in terms of the specifics around uh, COVID, um, we were asked to engage uh, really in t- two areas. One is to use 
Apollo um, to see whether um, essentially there may be some uh, aspects of the data that people were collecting that, again, could could um, help support uh, not necessarily the sort of first stage of COVID analysis, but potentially sort of subsequent elements in terms of looking at trends. Because what, what Apollo is very good at is, uh, which is different from a human, is Apollo is designed to essentially look at every single model and every single parameter configuration, but to do that intelligently. It's not brute force. And so it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have any inherent biases around looking at the data. And, and we believe that's a really important uh, aspect of machine learning. It can look at image uh, elements. It can look at textual. It can look at, at numeric data all, all through a, a sort of combined lens. And so what, what we were um, essentially asked to do is, is two things. One is um, to use our uh, technologies and our platform to help build a curated data catalog um, of good sources so that people, again, knew where they um, essentially should be looking and, and cut through some of the some of the, the sort of noise data that, that was out there in the early day stages. And then we have basically opened up the platform for free to any um, uh, any researcher, essentially, who wanted to essentially explore on that platform. And so what we've had is we've had people, for example, who ranging from economists and bankers who wanted to look at potential um, default uh, scenarios or credit scenarios associated with, uh, with COVID um, through to other parties who essentially just want to use it as a sandbox, essentially, to start playing with some with some of the data. Um, so that that's been our uh, direct um, element around uh, Axio. Um, obviously, that wasn't uh, what we formed the company to do. That was simply, uh, I guess, a, you know, an opportunity, essentially, to um, uh, to essentially present our our, um, our emerging technologies. Um, and now we are in the process of fairly advanced discussions um, with some, with some government ministers about Axio really being expanded um, uh, quite dramatically to become essentially a centre of excellence for applied artificial intelligence um, across, you know, across the UK, focusing initially on um, obviously agriculture um, and you know, agri-tech element and being a strategic, a strategic partner for the government around, you know, the, again, the, the deployment initially in the UK of agri-tech solutions, but more importantly, that the UK is, is a laboratory for innovation, which would then be globalized um, in, in due course. So uh, it sounds like you're picking up a huge amount of momentum, which is fabulous. And um, coinciding with that, you also recently announced um, a fundraising. Is that correct? Um, is, is that is that predominantly to kind of exploit the, the potential potential of Apollo? It, yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, we, um, as you quite rightly say, we we um, we have completed uh, investment fundraising. Um, it was really part of a strategy for Axio um, to essentially be connected into particularly the sort of regulatory and the government network. So uh, the, lead invest, the lead investor was actually the, the Development Bank of Wales. So although we are obviously based in, um, in the Bradfield Centre uh, in Cambridge, we also have um, uh, d- you know, developers and researchers in Wales, uh, others in uh, offshore and offices in London. But um, really the, the focus for the investment fundraising was the recognition that Wales is truly world-class at farming. And obviously, is also um, emerging to be uh, world class in terms of connecting with the universities, academia, and manu- manufacturing. And what we were trying to do is to bring a lot of those things together. So we've we've completed uh, we've completed a raise, as you say, um, that will largely stimulate um, the transition of our development um, offshore resources to be onshore, uh, increasing uh, on some of the products that we have developed. 
Um, so we have we have products not just like Apollo, but we're working around um, gene sequencing applications. Uh, we're working on some of the spectrum um, analytics. Uh, we're working on a, a, a again a a number of very advanced specific decision um, elements around sustainability and actually how that implements um, at a practical level, a real farm level, um, many of which uh, the precision agriculture is proving to be really not not the answer that they were hoping for. Um, now, that's, that is part of a, a, um, a growth strategy. We also uh, intend next year to do a more significant um, round really focus on our, on our global expansion. Right. Did you manage to close that fundraise that fundraising ahead of the, the crisis hitting or did you get kind of caught up in that process as well? No, no, it, interestingly, we, um, uh, we managed fortunately on that one to complete uh, just ahead of COVID. Uh, that said, we are, we, uh, some of my other companies are going through raises at the moment. Um, the, the model changes, but um, we are still finding that people are open for business. That is encouraging. So uh, after the fund, fundraising, how long do you think it will will take you to have your technology ready to help? Is this one about farmers rather than the government program you have about COVID? Well, it, it's interesting. Obviously, I mean, COVID is just one of the many use cases of, of technologies of our type because what we've, what we've essentially done is we've built a lot of accelerators. So we've built uh, a, a low code, our own proprietary low-code environments, algorithms, engines that build engines. So, um, and, uh, and so we can, we can actually spin up uh, applications very, very quickly. And that's really what we spent most of the first 12 to 18 months of Axio uh, doing. And then what we've really found since then is that um, we actually haven't formally gone out and, and done any marketing and, and launching of our products, people have come to us. So we, we have, um, we've created some strategic relationships, particularly with universities and some research bodies. And what, we've, what, we've, um, what we're essentially doing is now working on partnering with them uh, on us essentially being the platform and also helping them commercialize and scale up uh, businesses to, to expand out in, in, in uh, primarily traditional um, farming um, for uh, arable and livestock, but actually, what we're finding is is we've got um, a lot more demand uh, that we um, that has, has come to us for non-traditional farming. So things like hydroponics, uh, medicinal cannabis, uh, in, you know, insect farming, uh, a lot of the genetic sequencing, some of the blockchain chain uh, data applications for food security, some of the some of the cyber aspects. So there, there really is a, a, a huge myriad. Of um, of potential sub companies that actually we we've been uh, talking to uh, our investors, notably developed by Wales, that are potentially building out a group very quickly of all of these different sub areas. So so I mean it, that sounds like the ideal situation where you've got people coming to you rather than you're having to spend money marketing. Uh, Adelina and I talk a lot about marketing and sales to the companies that we work with. Um, how how has that happened? I mean, uh, is that through your personal network? Are you out there kind of speaking at conferences? Is it your investors that are helping you bring these opportunities to you? Um, how is that happening? Just to give a little bit of insight for people that might be sitting there thinking, oh my god, you know, I wish I had. This this problem to deal with where people were just knocking on my door and, and asking for our help. Well, yeah, it's, 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 it's sort of interesting. Um, I mean, we, we have as a sort of team, um, obviously developed a, a very strong network um, and, and, a, and a network, particularly in terms of professional investors, 
Um, and, and many of those are, are you know, global in nature, um, truly world-class, award-winning in their own right. And obviously, having, having built that trusted relationship with them, what we have found is that they, they have very quickly been um, uh, you know, instrumental in making introductions. I mean, to put it in context, I probably, I probably get uh, uh, you know, two or three investment opportunities come across my desk um, every week. And that, and that itself sometimes facilitates discussions where uh, somebody might actually have an investment um, opportunity that they're seeing for which we have already developed the technology. So actually, it would be far more effective um, for us jointly to, br- to take them to market than they built infrastructure, essentially, that, that we and Axio already have. And so that's been very, very key to, um, to a number of the projects that we've got currently got in the pipeline. Yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot, of, a lot of founders kind of they do underestimate the importance of spending time building their personal networks and and just getting out there and connected because that leads to so much opportunity. When sometimes they maybe think of it as a distraction away from their actual work of building the company, but you know we're always trying to emphasise that that's just as important. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, James, because one of the one of the elements what people very quickly realise uh, when they work with us as a team is that we are. We are genuinely, truly partnering. I mean, that that every member of the leadership team has built and exited at least one major company in their career. So, so, so what we really do is focus on helping to build next generation of talent. So, Axio, we've been um, we, is on an incredible journey. We've been hiring a lot of of you know um, new, young, fresh graduates, really keen. Um, we put them through a, you know a whole training bootcamp process. Uh, elements and we're really seeing them as hopefully part of the Axio journey for the next you know 20 years um, and that that's you know it's, it's very much our, our, our mantra is we make the, the leadership team effectively make make themselves redundant by ensuring that we have built the next generation of people who will move the company forward and on a personal level I've been responsible for uh, I guess leading uh, designing and and um, and building probably around uh, 20 global businesses um, over the course of my career, that doesn't include clients. That's actually, you know, practices and companies. They all exist. They're all extremely profitable, and they're all, you know, I, I'm, I'm delighted to say they're all, um, you know, they've all gone on, on and evolved way beyond, uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, my, my imagination and, and vision for them. And that that is a really exciting part of what we do. You you mentioned the the kind of AI um, technology that you have that has many use cases. I'm, I'm someone who's quite practical, and I'm sure a lot of the people would enjoy to hear. Would you mind delving a bit deeper into a before and after use case as to either in farming or with COVID, quite just a little story about how, how the technology would help with those uh, farms not being profitable or how would it help with that? Um, I'd be really interested to hear a bit more because it sounds really exciting. Yes, certainly. And, it, and, it, and it's, it's an interesting um uh, element in that we, uh, I guess, we tried actually with one of the major technology companies in Cambridge some years ago to build uh, an automated machine learning uh, application uh, for uh, largely sort of um, cancer type detection um, elements, but but on a broader basis where it was uh, at the vision to actually have a robotic machine learning designer um, that again would not have any biases, but actually would have intelligence and learning. Um, and actually we found, unfortunately, the technology just wasn't mature enough at that point. And obviously there's been a huge amount of progress since. Um, and so what we essentially use is we, we, look, we looked back essentially at the original design ideas 
Uh, we upgraded that with with um, current leading technologies, uh, all the best formats, and then started to essentially look at different data sets. So we one of our initial um, sample components, for example, was Kaggle, which um, you may be familiar with, where Kaggle essentially is, is, is a really good source for machine learning innovation because it sets challenges, it, it provides data sets, and you know, the world talent essentially starts looking at, at, at competing to build the best model. So we, we set actually Apollo, uh, a series of challenges against Kaggle uh, to see how well it would perform against uh, humans. And I'm pleased to say it, it performed extremely well. Um, and part of the elements specifically that we uh, have been focusing on is, um, just take one example. Uh, there is a uh, there there is a uh, a problem out there that actually uh, animals. And so this is a very specific, uh, real company that we are uh, we we are working with and very close to launching. And what they do is they do uh, they do DNA sequencing, and from which they do bioanalysis. And the bioanalysis essentially on animals um, leads them to a whole series of conclusions and and recommendations. Now there is a there's, there's a vast body of research papers out there which basically says if i find for example um you know bacterial uh type x um at a certain level then that's a leading indicator and my animal might have colitis or uh, laminitis in, in in the case of a horse for example and so and the problem actually is, is that's a very simple rule base elements what we are doing via apollo is we can take all of that data and we build up a whole series of more complex disease sets and also potential response um, environments. And so what we are doing essentially is automating what is actually a very manual process uh, today in terms of that analysis and using a machine learning application, which basically says this is actually the um, not only the right response for that animal, but actually we look at potential um, other clusters of evidence on a broader basis that, again, a human probably wouldn't have the patience or the skills to do, because this is really, you know, the amount of data is beyond human scale. Now, to be able to say, well, actually, for example, we, we can see a growing trend of, that dogs uh, of, a, of a certain type, for example, with certain nutritional imbalances are more prone to disease in the Cambridge cluster relative to the rest of the country. And, and then the, the, the essentially the system can start to mine and investigate and, re- and advise why that might be the case. Now, that's got a huge number of use cases. So, for example, um, there's a lot of animals that are um, brought in um, from overseas or maltreated into the UK. Um, They actually may be carrying disease. And uh, and a lot of this disease is going through their biome. Obviously, there's fecal matter associated with going into the land. There's lots and lots of ramifications through through the course of the whole chain of that problem. Now, that's, that's just one really simple example. Now, interestingly, the technology that does that sequencing that we've built, so the engine, can be equally applied and is applied to looking at, for example, the, the sequencing for um, new seed types. So, uh, a, a, again, in the UK, with a lot of regulation, typically a new seed to market is a seven-year type process. So, and, and it's seven years, similar to, to a drug, because, again, there's, there's lots and lots of, of uh, validation that needs to be done before that gets put into, obviously, the human food chain. Elements. Now, again, with our types of technology, what we are doing with sensors and big scale data and big scale machine learning is we are, we are able to um, give the, uh, the the people who are doing those field trials and projects 
which includes the farmers, technologies that they would never um, have, have, be, have imagined was possible in real time. So, Stephen, I wanted to come back to, you know, you were explaining how you run effectively two centres, one in Cambridge, one in Wales. Um, is it, Are you in Cambridge for the, you know, the the access to talent coming from the university or or the fact that there's a strong kind of AI skill base in Cambridge? You know, what, what's your thinking on the kind of the dual location? And maybe a second part of that question is, you know, what, what does the Cambridge ecosystem mean to you, the kind of Cambridge cluster? And how are you benefiting from being in the city? Yeah, I'm, I'm delighted to say I've, I've had a relationship with Cambridge uh, since uh, student days. So I, I, it's, it's an uh, environment I know very well. Uh, I've worked with quite a number of the companies in and around the science parks. And really, I mean, Cambridge to me is a natural hub. For, uh, again, for talent, for technology innovation. Uh, it, it's, it's a phenomenal um, uh, a, a ecosystem to connect uh, with companies. What I've found, particularly over the last decade or so, is that uh, a lot of the innovation uh, is occurring out of smaller companies who are more prepared to partner uh, elements. Um, and so uh, really the, the, our strategy is a lot of the design authority uh, work and the connection with the uh, AI machine learning um, components absolutely in Cambridge. Um, Cambridge obviously has a phenomenal um, life sciences and agri um, series of companies. So again, those those connections are really important. But interestingly, one of the um, observations that we made early on in Axio was that whenever we met in, either in Westminster or in, in and around um, a lot of the agricultural um, conferences, the, the, the questions tended to be heavily centred around the Cambridge Corridor. And we felt actually the UK was missing a trick. And, and the trick was really around making sure that we connected more broadly into other areas that are absolute world-class domain experts and, you know, notably uh, Wales. So, that, so, that, so our strategy is very much Wales is part of our um, innovation lab environment. There's a large number of farms there. They are very complex farms. A lot of the land is uh, is very difficult uh, to uh, create alternative uses for, um, and there's the natural spectrum centre has just been built. So that's again is a natural park where a lot of farms in Wales are off grid, um, you know, off Wi-Fi, off grid, off road. That's a fantastic environment and laboratory to then think about exporting into places like Africa, for example. And it's it's very much what we see. That there's a there's a sort of thought centre and a development centre. But really, our goal is to make sure they, they, they are completely integrated. Yeah, really interesting. So you, you split your time, do you, between both locations? I, I do. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm sort of very fortunate in that I have spent most of my career doing five countries a week. So I'm, I, I'm used to travel. Uh, my, my home is in Surrey. I, so I tend to sort of spend uh, a part of my week in Cambridge and uh, a part of my month in Wales. Uh, I do. It, I have found that uh, Wales is quite an interesting one when you're looking to hire developers because technically our offices are on the west coast, so it's quite quite interesting to get developers um, uh, sort of views where they obviously think they're going to the west coast of America, which is actually what we have found is it, it can it can take me as long to get to uh, to our offices in Aberystwyth that it does sometimes that it used to take me sometimes to get to New York. Cardiff has got a good reputation though for computer science, right? Uh, absolutely, indeed. Actually, um, there are a lot of really world class companies that have um, uh, basically that, that have uh, located into uh, into Wales, 
Um, and we we found actually the you know the academic, uh, the government, and and the uh, the other sort of commercial support um, is truly truly world class. Well, Stephen, do you have any um, any events or any announcements that you'd like to make so the Bradfield community knows about them? Well, I think um, I, I mean I guess there's probably a number of uh, elements that I would like to sort of capture. One is um, we as a company are absolutely open for business with any other companies who either may be struggling um, or just reached a point actually where it's the opposite. They've recognized with, you know, post-COVID, post, uh, you know, post-Brexit, that actually there is, uh, I guess, a need to perhaps either rethink their business models, rethink some of their partnership elements. And, you know, we, we would be you know, very keen uh, to explore uh, opportunities for that, um, which also includes uh, companies that may uh, be looking for investment support, um, in what obviously will be much more challenging times for, for many industries. Uh, in terms of uh, announcements, we have, uh, again, a number of um, uh, partnerships uh, that we are uh, in, the, in the process of just sort of finalizing. But really, any of the sort of companies that are in areas of laboratory research, sequencing, you know, detailed life, uh, data science, uh, potential applications where they may be um, more a, a product um, uh, and looking for help to integrate to a platform who could then help to commercialize, scale, globalize, then you know, that, that would be very much, I guess, um, part of what I would uh, offer up to you know, any parties in the Bradfield Center and um, you know, the broad, broader Cambridge ecosystem. Fantastic. Are you hiring at the moment if anyone's listening and is looking to, to join? We are absolutely hiring. Um, and indeed, actually, we, we've uh, just made an offer to uh, one young lady yesterday, uh, super, super uh, excited to have her on board. Um, we are very keen for, particularly in terms of data scientists, uh, people who would like to uh, build their career in, in AI, machine learning, uh, domain experts as well. Um, some instances of operational support. So yeah, we are we are very much open for business for uh, for, for hiring. Excellent. Well, really interesting conversation. Very much appreciate you taking the time out to speak to us today, Stephen. It's absolutely my pleasure. And Adeline and James, I look forward to hopefully seeing you uh, in person uh, sooner rather than later. Well, that was interesting. I hadn't realised that his AI platform would apply so widely, not just to farming, but also to COVID and even to cancer. Um, it would have never occurred to me that it, something like um, his one platform could, could have so many use cases. Yeah, you can see why um, they're attractive to investors and to government in terms of uh, the, you know, the number of different potential applications that they can support. Uh, it's really interesting to talk about the, the split um, location approach that they're operating as well. You know, being in Cambridge to uh, benefit from the, the uh, computer science and artificial intelligence uh, skills um, and the talent pipeline in the city, but also equally being in Wales to really kind of... Uh, uh, take advantage of the the kind of unique characteristics and the specialisms of agritech in Wales and uh, tap into Cardiff University for computer science as well. Thanks once again to Stephen for taking the time to come onto the show. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Apple Podcasts or by going to bradfieldcentre.com and you can find us under Events and Community. Mm-hmm.